You know, I had an idea like that once, a long time ago. Really? What was it, Tom? It was a jump to conclusions mat. You see, it would be this mat that you would put on the floor and would have different conclusions written on it that you could jump to. That is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life, Tom. Mom, I really like this. Cute. What's it made of? Wool. Like from a cow? Uh-huh. Duh, Ashley. All wool comes from a cow. Catch me outside. How about that? Can I come into the out now? Laugh it up, fuzzball. Go ahead. Make my day. Oh, yeah. You sounded like Dirty Harry just then. Oh, idiot. What would you say you do here? Wow. The insecurity level with you guys is ridiculous. And every time something would go wrong, I would look at the camera and say, Hey, what happened? Yeah, I, I believe you have my stapler. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber. A behind-the-scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we are creating documentary films about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective and pursuing truth above all else. I'm Amber Archer, and joining me is my husband, author, director, speaker, Mark Archer. Step aside, please. We have white privilege. <laughs> you can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. Are you threatening me? <laughs> You're totally ridiculous. Are you threatening me? I am the great Cornholio. <laughs> Uh-huh. I don't know why you ever were allowed to have buttons. I, whatever. See, the great fun is to keep secret exactly. until we record what my button of the week is going to be. Uh-huh. Step aside, please. We have white privilege. <laughs> you all grew up in the 90s. You know Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> Are you threatening me? Oh, uh, so yeah, it's another another week, another Tuesday. Mm-hmm. We had a screening in Noblesville. We sure did. Went well, and if you came out, we appreciate it. It was uh, the weather was a little dicey. Yeah, but uh, we made it. And uh, thank you to those who drove two and a half hours. I mean, we drove. Yeah, you know, two hours. Well, it seemed like three with the traffic. We made the mistake of stopping for dinner. Yeah, we should have just kept going. Yeah, <laughs> because by the time we got off on our exit, I mean it was just ice. A I mean, there were cars. You know, four cars off on in the ditch. We've got police and squad and fire and everybody coming to help get get all these cars out of the out of the field so yeah and there were and there were a handful of people who bought tickets that couldn't make it and we uh, apologize we're gonna try and schedule another screening yeah and your tickets will still be good yeah so we'll let you know when we get that set up so but you've had some interesting conversations with people at screenings you know i think it's always it's always very um humbling afterwards especially when we do the q a and uh several people uh, one in particular there was um, a husband and wife who came and stood up and just wanted to address the audience as well and let them know that you know just because we're we're in indiana and we happen to be in noblesville at the time but we hear this all across the state mm-hmm. since we've been screening it is don't think that this isn't happening somewhere else it's absolutely happening here, right here in in your backyard, yeah. basically, um, because their family has had experience dealing with uh, the transgender issue. And um, unfortunately, their teenager uh, left and they haven't had contact with them since um, since last year. And we hear this versions of this at virtually every screening. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, and a lot of times during while the film is playing, of course, we've seen the film, so yeah. <laughs> we don't always sit in and watch the whole thing. Um, and a lot of times we're, you know, in the lobby having conversations with people. And it breaks my heart because I've seen more than once a parent, grandparent uh, having to come out sometimes in tears. Um, sobbing. Sobbing because of just how much it, it, because you don't know what people are dealing with. The people that come to see this film, um, they're many, many of them, they're dealing with this on some level. Mm -hmm. And what we hear from people basically at every screening is 
I didn't understand. Now I understand. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the conversations that I had just at Noblesville on Friday um, was the the family, the husband and wife came up and they just said, I wish that I had this, you know, at least a year or two ago. I was not equipped to understand, to have the conversations that were needed surrounding this this topic. Right. And it's really, it's, you know, when we say educate, motivate and inspire mm-hmm. our three pillars of fearless three, features. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a classic example of it is to educate people. We do the, we do the research and we put it together in a film format. Um, some people put these things together in book format. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, do, uh, do it in live presentations. These are all good outlets. What we're good at is making movies. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we contribute to battling this as mm-hmm. we, we take it and we, we take I heard somebody referring to investigative documentary filmmakers as pearl stringers. Yeah. Because you take these pearls of knowledge and you string them together into one, one piece cohesive understandable so people can connect the dots Mm -hmm. and that's what we do so we we're humbled by that we appreciate um, people uh, when they when they uh, say that about the film because that's why we made the film Mm -hmm. and we do have another interesting screening coming up yes you know it it is amazing to watch the Lord work. Mm-hmm. And those of you who support our ministry through Fearless Features, um, just want to let you know that we are now, the Lord has opened the door for a college campus here in Indiana mm-hmm. at Grace College. This is going to be a free public screening. Yes. So, so just thank you to those of you who support our ministry because... You've made this screening possible through your generous donations. Yes. And so we so appreciate the opportunity to get onto a college campus and especially for a free screening event because more people need to see it. Right. And I mean, think about this. Think of the next generation. Yeah. Think of the cesspool that the universities have become Mm -hmm. and to be able to go to a good Christian college Mm -hmm. like Grace and which has, you know, a, a very highly regarded seminary as part of it. So we're dealing with a college campus where the next generation of pastors is being trained. Mm-hmm. Pastors, youth pastors, uh, you know, business leaders being brought up and trained in a, in a Christian environment. And they're not immune to this. Right. And so for us to be able to go and speak to that demographic these are you know these are last year's high schoolers yeah yeah 20 <laughs> somethings you know they're yeah. just getting ready to start their families and i think that's why it's so important especially because right now the screenings those who are attending the screenings we're talking about parents and grandparents right and we they've already raised their kids mm-hmm. and and so to be able to move on to a college campus to make now before they have children, understanding what's lying ahead for them yeah. and and how to combat this and just to be build your your foundation on the solid rock of Christ. I mean, they're already getting that, but understanding the attacks that are coming from the world, mm-hmm. especially to the family, is so, so very important. So tell them again when it is. And- that is March 28th at 7 p.m. It is hosted by the Turning Point USA um, at Grace College. Okay. So there is no ticket link. The, no. Okay. So it's first come, first serve. Yeah. It's at McLean Auditorium. It's where they hold their chapel service. And okay. so we're excited. So we'll be there and we're looking forward to seeing how many people come out this is uh, share with your friends and family but you as our supporters have made this possible so thank mm-hmm. you and if you know anybody who needs to see the films send them out yeah tell them to get there early i guess i don't i don't know how it's a thursday many, night how many people at seats i don't know but we'll find out it'll be fun yeah okay so before we go to the rialto story i have an interesting observation observation so we went yesterday after church we went out uh, to eat with our girls Mm-hmm. And we ended up at Steak and Shake. It wasn't our first pick. Wasn't our first. Pick. It, was, it was not our first pick. It was our our last ditch effort to right. find something really fast. Right, because uh, we thought, well, okay, Steak and Shake's okay. It's better than McDonald's. Okay, 
So we went into this McDonald or the Steak and Shake. Describe describe to people what <laughs> the Steak and Shake was like. Okay, well, in in my so twenty years ago, uh-huh. the Steak and Shake was a fun hopping place. Yeah, it right? was kind of this retro diner. Yeah, you know, and I, I enjoy it. And burgers and shakes and fries. And truly, I haven't been to Steak and Shake. Probably in 20 years. Right. <laughs> so, well, no, I mean, I remember taking our girls there when they were young. It was oh, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe 10 years ago. Okay. But, but we're talking like once every five right, years. Right. It's been, you know, it's you, been a just, while. That's not our go to place. Okay. So go ahead. So, what's it like now? So, we walk in <laughs> and it's like a deserted island. Right. There's, there's one other family mm-hmm. in there. And everything is automated. So yes. there's nobody at the counter to take your order. You got to go and, you know. It's just a, it's a kiosk yeah. touch screen. <laughs> Weird. Like, right. uh, I, okay. It's like, it's like when you go into a McDonald's now, right? Oh, yeah. You, I've seen those. You, you just, you don't even talk to a real person. They have, instead of this, you know, grand counter with all these cash registers, there's these kiosks. Uh-huh. And you go and you you put your order in, and then they've got one kid who just stands there and you know brings you, you know, shovels the the bags out. Yeah, and that's what Steak and Shake has turned into. Mm-hmm. And it, but it wasn't just that. No, it wasn't that. Um, we got our cups for drinks, and you you know you had to scan so that you get which which I'm, it's fine. I mean it's cool technology and mm-hmm. whatever. But it was interesting because I was sitting there and I was looking at the receipt and. One of the other places, if we're if we do go out to eat, because we don't eat out all, mm-hmm. a lot or anything, but when we do treat our kids to go out to eat, we go to a different place. Mm-hmm. And we were, and I said as I was looking at the receipt, and I said, "Wow, this place costs like five bucks more than our usual <laughs> order, right?" From the other place that we really enjoy going to. Right. And the other, and what was interesting was, so we're sitting there <laughs> and I'm looking around at how dirty <laughs> the place is. The, okay, the, you know, Steak and Shake, it's got the tile floors and everything. The, okay, the tiles are broken. The, the light bulb in over our table was burned out. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed on the walls there were things that used to be there that were taken down, and it's just you can see where they painted around it, right? Yeah. But it's just this blank spot. They didn't even fill in the holes. So, what other what other thoughts? What what was your observation that you were getting? So, to? I as I'm sitting there and I'm I'm observing this, and I and I was getting really frustrated because I thought, you know, at least you could have somebody stand there and greet people. Right, because there were th- what th- maybe six employees in there, and yeah, not maybe. a not a one of them even acknowledged customers coming in. <laughs> right, none of them, because where the cash register and the hostess used to be, you know, are the kiosk is it just a a computer screen? Yeah, and they did not care at all that you were even in there, and so right there, I was annoyed because we spent probably twice as much time trying to figure out the kiosk uh-huh. as if we just would have had somebody to talk to as first time guests. In right. The location. I could just go, I could tell a person I want a cheeseburger and fries. Yeah. Beep, beep, beep. It's done. But with the kiosk, you've got to go scroll through this menu, this menu, this menu, this menu, confirm. Now there's mine. Now we got to go through it again. This menu, this menu, this menu. And I'm thinking, okay, and then sitting there and just seeing how everything's broken down and dirty, the floors hadn't been swept. But yet we paid more for but, that experience. But yet we paid more. And this really gets me. <laughs> and when you're and when you're paying, they expect a tip. Right? <laughs> yeah. How much and it's not it's they, they try to make it not even an option, you know, yeah. like well, how much are you gonna tip? And I'm thinking, wait a minute. What is it exactly I'm tipping you for? Who am I tipping and why am I tipping? Yeah. I walk in, you ignore me. <laughs> I I go through all the motions of ordering my food on your stupid computer. Am I tipping the computer? It's like when I go to pick up a pizza and they expect a tip. And I think, no, you get in the car and bring it to my door. I'll give you a good tip because I used to do that. But uh-huh. if I have to drive over there and stand in line... <laughs> 
I'm not giving you a tip. Share your feelings with the group. <laughs> but I was thinking about this and how it's you, you, we're starting to see this more and more. And we were sitting there speculating on why is this? Is it because post COVID because they can't get employees or maybe or, they don't pay them well, or did they treat their employees really bad? And, and, and then we were comparing it to the, to the other place that we usually go, which has similar food, Way which, better experience. Which is way better. They have... And it's usually standing room only on Sundays. Standing room only. <laughs> and they've got they've got employees whizzing around that place and they're smiling and they're happy. Or you go to a place like Chick-fil-A. I was just going to say that. Chick-fil-A has it down. Like they Chick-fil-A have phenomenal is, customer service. It's freaking amazing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. whether or not you like their food or not. They have their system down. You pull up and they, they, they have people that stand in the parking lot yeah. and take your order at your window. Uh-huh. They can make change. They can tell you what all the options are. And it's two, well, at least two lines. And I it's know I just, like to do it. I just, I just, you know, one of these days I'm just going to go and watch <laughs> the whole the whole thing. Because, you know, for us, it's behind the scenes sort of production. We, right. we watch how things work. Right. That's our job. And and when I and when I did go back to school and I studied engineering and it, part of it was industrial engineering, uh-huh. automation systems. Yeah. And I'm watching this going, they have this down. Yeah. This is efficient. This is what McDonald's used to be. Yeah. This is what the, the other place that we like to go to is very efficient, just like this. You, you do not wait. They've got this stuff going. And so I think, is it? There's a, there's, let me, let me postulate here for a second. Postulate and then we're going to wrap it up. And then we'll move back on, we'll move back to Rialto. But so there's this board game that I used to play when I was in high school. Uh Oh, okay. It's not Dungeons and Dragons, but it's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) It's called Battletech. Okay. Okay. And Battletech was a, it's a role playing, uh, board game. Mm Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole Battletech universe, and and people today would know it by uh, Mech Warrior. Okay, Mech Warrior is a video game that spun out of the Battletech universe. Okay, right? and it's these giant war robots. Okay, but the whole the whole universe of Battletech, there, there's all of these books that I still have, right? Where we used to, you'd get these books, and they had this whole history of this Battletech universe, and in this history of the BattleTech universe, they talk about the 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 end of the 20th century and how everything broke down mm-hmm. and fell into global civil war, and that there was this uh, this group of people that that went off world and disappeared, and nobody nobody saw them again for hundreds of years, and. On Earth, it kind of turned into the technological dark ages. So everything kind of broke down and all the people who were innovators had been killed and nobody knew how to fix anything anymore. And certainly nothing new was being invented. So they just kept patching up and fixing stuff because that's all that they could do. And then at some point, all the people that had gone off world came back and they had continued to innovate. So they came back and they had superior technology and everything was, you know, centuries ahead of where they were there. And I, and I was just thinking of that cause I'm a nerd and I was just thinking, are we, are we starting to enter into this, uh, as a, as a society where we were, we're not innovating things anymore because we've stopped teaching truth. Mm-hmm. Like Apple, you look at Apple. Once Steve Jobs died, what have they actually invented new? I mean, think about the innovations when Steve Jobs there. There was the Mac, then there was the iPod, but, then but the you, iPad, then the iPhone. But you know, the interesting thing is, did he understand truth? Well, he certainly, I don't think he was a believer, but he certainly he certainly understood innovation mm-hmm. and and uh, curiosity right and he was he was ostracized by his own company yeah. I and mean, he was kicked out of his own company and they stopped innovating mm-hmm. until he came back and then they started innovating again and i think the last 
innovation that we have that he left was the the Apple Watch, mm. right? And that was it. And then they basically have kind of turned inward and said, we're just going to focus on us. Right? Well, we're just going to do apps. And- well, and, and you see that even today with the constant rebooting of films. Exactly. You know, there's there's no new creativity. There's, right. there's no new great you know, movie, no great idea, no great story that, right. and that everything, people can tell. And everything that gets rebooted is junk. Yeah. yeah. It's just And over-sexualized junk. most yes. of the time. Yes. They, they've, they've completely, and everything, they, they literally very little that you see coming out in the entertainment world is even original anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all rebooted. And so... I don't know. I was just thinking about that. Are we are we now entering that phase of humanity? Just the the breakdown of everything. If you don't know which bathroom to use, <laughs> <laughs> you're you're confused about the basics. I don't know if Basic you understand know. even how to create anything anymore. Mm. I don't know. We seem to be good at weapons. That's about it. Um, okay, I digress. Let's move back to reality. Moving on. So, um, Karen Richards, uh, was the prosecutor in Allen County here in Indiana. Um, and she used to work under Steve Sims, who was the prosecutor in that position back when this whole story was going on. And so we're going to hear Bob talk a little bit more about Steve Sims, but before that, I've got a bit of audio because I, I, I couldn't I couldn't get uh, Steve Sims uh, on camera, but Karen Richards agreed to talk to me. And so mm-hmm. I went and I sat down with her. And one of the things that that she did very well was she clarified uh, this confusion about um, obscenity. Mm-hmm. And so I've got a bit of audio from her where she's going to explain to us the what it means, what obscenity means from a legal standpoint. So let's listen to Karen Richards and then we'll get back to Bob Yalberg. You know, every prosecutor, I think everyone I've ever worked for, and I've worked for three, I worked for Arnie Doomling, I worked for Steve Steve Sims, and I worked for Bob Geevers. Um, Every prosecutor, I believe, is charged with enforcing the law, and Steve was no different. And you know, people ask if in enforcing these laws, Steve wasn't enforcing a moral judgment. And, and I guess I don't view it that way, and this is the reason that I don't. There's only one crime in the entire set of state criminal statutes, only one that I'm aware of, that brings community morality into the statute as part of the charge as part of the illegal activity, and that's obscenity. Because what obscenity is all about is what a reasonable member of the community using contemporary community standards thinks only applies to a prurient interest in sex or a, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a different word for prurient, like a base interest, a grotesque interest, a non-artistic, cultural, loving interest in sex. But it's the only crime that actually is part of it, as the, of the crime, asks you to take into account contemporary community values or morals. And so I think in enforcing this statute, it, it, it is somewhat of a moral decision because what may or may not be obscene in Allen County is probably different from what might or might not be obscene in Marion County or, I'm trying to think of a really small rural county, Johnson County. Um, it's going to be different in every county. And that's why you have to have a group of people getting together and viewing these things to say, yeah, as a group, this ain't going to fly in Fort Wayne. This is, this is bad and we're not doing that. Um, and I did for a long time the initial hearings. You first, on any obscenity case, you had a probable cause hearing where you looked at the material, found that it was probably obscene, and then you had to have a trial on whether the person actually distributed. And I spent years doing these probable cause hearings in misdemeanor court. And I think there were three things everybody always agreed on that were obscene. And I still think they're obscene. 
bestiality is, is obscene, anything with children is obscene, and anything with sadomasochism is obscene. And I don't care who was in the room when we were watching these things. In this community, and I hope in every other, those three things are obscene. Period. End of story. Everything else is a gray area. And so I think that's why you have to apply a community standard. And so that's what this case was all about. And that's why, for I think about the only time morality actually entered into a criminal case, but by law it has to. Thoughts? It's, it's fascinating. Um, people, communities, especially if you are unengaged mm -hmm. with what is going on, you allow so many things. If, if you're not the watchman on the wall and you're not holding the line to what should be um, the community standards, yeah. shame, shame on you because it is, it is all of our duties and our jobs mm -hmm. to stand up. Because, and it reminds me of um, the John Adams quote, um, oh, how to, uh, human passions unbridled by morality would break the strongest cords of our constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And when she's talking about this and I think about, uh, the obscenity exemptions and when we, in, in the mind polluters, when we address the obscenity exemptions and then you think of what she's talking about, about how community standards mm -hmm. factor into this. Well, what determines community standards? The people. The people. Who affects the people and their sense of morality? Mm -hmm. The church is supposed to be doing that job. Mm -hmm. And so talk about shame on... And Whoever, shame on the churches. Well, and that's why, the, you know, we see it over and over again. You know, Satan has really done a job on figuring out a way to silence the churches. Right. What we've got is is an epidemic of churches that live in a silo. Mm -hmm. You're allowed to exist as long as you don't interfere with community standards. Right. Don't bring your religion into community don't bring your religion you stay over there in your little mm -hmm. your little silo and and we're okay and the churches have found that they can they can exist that way and get wealthy because they're a feel good center you know and only for a time you you, you, re right. you realize how fleeting that really is right and that's why you're seeing so many so many churches they they're now going one of two directions either they're they're realizing that they and the Lord is raising up warriors mm. and they're speaking truth. Oh, the remnant is alive and well. Right. And the remnant is starting to to awaken and, and the Lord is purging some churches. Mm -hmm. But he is it's like cooking off the dross from silver. Right. He's purifying and, and getting clean in house. Mm. And then there's the churches who are. Totally hedonistic, humanistic centers. And they're the ones that you're seeing add all kinds of things that have nothing to do with worship. Yo, right? I just, Look, we've got yoga classes. No, check it out. <laughs> I literally, I'll, I'll leave a link to it so you guys can see. There was um, a church. Oh, shoot. Where was it? In Ohio, I believe it was just next door to us. And their whole Sunday was centered around the Super Bowl. So they did a oh, whole. My word. Super Bowl. I mean, literally, their pastor was in a referee jersey and they had people on state. They were doing mock right. like football. Uh, it was it was insane. But you see how much entertainment mm -hmm. if, if your way of bringing people in is constantly just to entertain them. Right. And I and I see and I, I watch some of it <laughs> and had to turn it off because they were they were. Um, trying to justify their reasonings for going through all of this effort and, mm -hmm. you know, choreographing all of these, you know, plays, whatever, was because we needed to be able to speak to people in their language. Right. 
So this is, there's a real fine line there, there is. right? Because I've seen pastors, there are some some teachers who are very good at object lessons, mm-hmm. and I love object lessons. Yep. And I have seen some pastors who really should use object lessons who condemn pastors who use object lessons. <laughs> yeah. right? Well, they're just all about entertainment. No, they're they're making an object lesson to yeah. to, to relate try to, to relate to people right. to to illustrate. That's that's like a parable, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this, right? You know, it's like this. You understand this? Oh yeah, I understand that. Okay, well, the, and Jesus did that with his parables. But what you're talking about, yeah, it's just this whole other level. Of, <laughs> no, you know, it's a it's a whole other level. Give them of, food and drink and circus, and they'll never revolt. Right. Right. There was a, the, one of the Roman emperors that said that, mm-hmm. and uh, speaking of the games in the Colosseum, yeah, yeah. So we're we're I, we're watching the Lord separate the the, the wheat sheep, and tares, the wheat and the tares, the sheep from the goats, mm-hmm. and uh, it is fascinating to watch. Okay, so now let's get back to Bob and uh, continuing the interview at the Rialto Theater here. Tom said, well, let's, let's pick it. So he wrote up the guidelines and all. And um, Tom had a great idea, but he didn't know how to do it. And we didn't know how to do it. And so we had 50 churches that agreed None of us knew what we were agreeing to. I mean, this had never happened before. We didn't. And they agreed to uh, recruit picketers from their congregations. So George Tim, who was an elder at the Broadway Church, an engineer, tremendous heart and mind, he came to me with a plan. He said, Bob, I've got a plan how we can do this and make it last a long time. We'll only put about eight people on the line at one time, and there's enough of us, they only need to do it once a month. And we could sustain a volunteer group. Every week you couldn't, but once a month you could. So that was the plan. And each church had a a picket coordinator, and they were contacted, and we got it all set up. And uh, we delayed it, I think, a month once we realized what a big job this was gonna be to get it. We wanted to get it done well. We wanted it to be well planned. The newspaper ad that I showed you a minute ago, uh, this, this ad came out in the paper, and it had, I prayed, Mark, I prayed for 100 pastors. God gave us 118 pastors. It was unbelievable. At that time, they, you couldn't get 10 pastors to agree in the time of day, but, <laughs> but they had seen the evils of this, and they, and they said, enough is enough. So, uh, this, this newspaper ad had the names of the business leaders, the church leaders, the community, men and women who were respected in the community. And so it came out in the paper before we started picketing. And it was in August. Well, actually, yeah, it was in August. And uh, <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. But people, we did it, we learned by doing they threw toilet water on the feet of our picketers. I'll never forget the song. They're coming to take us away. They're coming to take us away. They played that song again and again. People used to sing it when they get off the line. <laughs> but they persist. They threw water from out over the windows. They did everything, but, but no personal injuries. They carried the signs. We realized we needed police protection. And so we went to the mayor. And uh, I think he thought there'd maybe be a half a dozen people. And as I remember, there were over 40 who were part of this movement now who came to his chambers. And we had to go to larger chambers. And when he heard who it was and what they had to say, he said, I'm with you. I'm with you. We'll give you support, police support. And so that was a big plus. And these were leaders in the community. He knew them. I'm sure some of them had helped elect him, you know. So it wasn't just pastors. Oh, no, 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 not at all. Uh, Very few pastors, really. And intentionally did not make this a church movement because it would have been written off immediately. We went to the neighborhood associations. And I don't remember now just how many, but we had representation of the whole city and neighborhood because this was an issue that was affecting families. And so it it, it was... uh, and then the other thing was the prosecuting attorney at that time was not prosecuting these laws because the public weren't calling for it. 
So a new, a new prosecutor was being elected in January. So we got behind his election and he said he would enforce those laws. And to his credit, he did. Steve Sims did what he said he was gonna do in his election promises. So that put, it, that put it together. Now we have a movement of citizens. We have a movement of, of, of leaders. We have a movement uh, of the law. The prosecuting attorney, who is the strongest law enforcement of, officer in the county, the laws he determines to prosecute will be prosecuted. You can't get past that. And then the court also, because this is legal. I'll never forget, I went in to see Bishop McManus. He just had gotten out of the hospital, and Tom Blee got me in to see him. And uh, he, he said, well, what's your goal? I said, our goal is to call for the enforcement of the present laws against obscenity. Well, he said, then you have a reachable goal. And, but he said, whatever you do, don't become zealots. I said, sir, what is a zealot? He said, a zealot is one who has an unreachable goal. Never forgot that. If you would have told him, what, what could you have told him that would have labeled you as zealots if you would have said, we want all pornography to end ever? Yeah, right, right, yeah. And prostitution yeah. and uh, obscenity and, you know, and, and <laughs> he said there will always be prostitution. There always has been. But legally, it can be controlled in this city. And the thing that really brought him around was the Broadway church got picketed. Uh, Cy Cooper, who ran Cooper's restaurant, his mother did, and he owned the building that the erotic house was in. And Cy enjoyed the porn. That's all there was to it. So <laughs> he got wind that we were going to picket. So he got together a group of young adults t saying that we were going to control rock music and you know, the whole, which we were not. And they picketed the Broadway church on a Sunday morning in August. We didn't know at the time, but the plain closed police were on the garage because there'd been a bomb threat. As I pulled in on the parking lot that morning, uh, a black officer said to me, what's wrong with those people? Don't, know, don't they know they can't go against JC? <laughs> I loved it. You know, I needed that encouragement. And our elders were at the door, and, and as the picketers, they were very quiet, you know, but they were out there. It was, he had to walk through the line to get to church that morning. The, the windows were open. We didn't have air conditioning. The people never sung any louder than they sang that morning. I did not change my sermon, but the, off, the, the, the uh, manager of the Erotica House came and sat in the third row trying to get my goat. I didn't change a word of the message that I had prepared. He later bragged about putting peep show tokens in the offering. God does not smile on that. And ultimately, it, it, it was over. But, and then uh, we, didn't, we didn't want to make a media release. But as I got to the back door, the media was there. They went, you know, they... And they said, this is off the record. Well, it wasn't. <laughs> I should have known better. I, I was very naive at that time with the media because they wanted a story. Well, so it all came out in the paper Monday morning. What had happened? But one of the picketers, a young black boy, wore a nun's outfit. And he carried a sign that said, it's N-U-N of your business, what I read. Well, Bishop McManus saw that on TV Sunday night. He was furious. That's all there was to it. And I think that sealed the, the, the Catholic Church coming in, thank God. Ten years later, Mark, that young man came to me. He had AIDS. He was near death. He asked my forgiveness. He asked forgiveness of the church. He said he was following the wrong influence. He wanted to be baptized into Christ. We baptized him. And at his funeral, he prepared a video testimony of the life, Christ's forgiveness in his life. He wanted his gay friends to hear that. So, oh my, <laughs> that, that, so the, the picketing started August, I get my date right here, August the 10th, 1982. And uh, after five months, uh, the business was, we monitored business before it started and after. Business was cut about in half. The porn people tried to say, no, no, our business is stimulated. Well, it wasn't stimulating. Uh, I met a man later who <laughs> was in the store before picketing, and when he looked out the window, the pickets were there. 
he, he waited as long as he thought they'd leave. They didn't. And he said, my wife's going to call wonder where I am. <laughs> and so he had to go through the line. Well, later he came back to the church and he was afraid the people on the picket line would have been there. He said, don't worry about it. We've all had our problems. How long before the prosecutions began? I, uh, because the picketing went on for what, four or five two, years? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Um, I guess the, my question, and, and this was, there were picketers every day? Every day. I was five, every day the store was open. Every day the store was open. Yes. Picketers I don't think we there. didn't pick it on Sunday. Uh -huh. And wind and rain and Indiana winters and didn't the whole matter. Nine yards. We had elderly women out there in snowmobile suits. Yeah. <laughs> And, and the remarkable thing was, in uh, the book, Pornography, A Human Tragedy, there's the Fort Wayne story, one of the chapters. And Steve Sims is quoted at the end of that chapter saying, he lived in West Central, and when he went home at night, he saw these people out there. And he realized that the people wanted the law enforced. And that's what had to happen. Laws are only enforced when the people want them enforced. So what happens, you have a combination of, of citizens, strong citizen support. You've got the legal side of it. The, they went in and, and bought samples of the porn, went to the court, had trial by jury in 47 cases. There was only one or two that was lost. The jury said this material is obscene. And the Supreme Court said at that time, that each community must determine what is obscene there. They brought in attorneys from the East Coast who were hot shots, used to winning First Amendment stuff. They couldn't do the First Amendment here. That didn't fit. But they so intimidated the jurors in the selection that by the time the trial started, those, juries, those jurors were all down in that guy in the beginning. And they couldn't, they lost again and again and again. Porn pockets are deep. They can afford a lot, but they can't stand up ultimately against citizen support, the law, the police, uh, the courts. It, 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 it's, there was such a broad band here of support from all over that eventually it closed them down. And, uh, the prosecuting attorney, to his credit, was ahead of their attorneys. His case was airtight. There never had been a RICO law enforced against porn. Now, that was a new law that the legislature had passed in Indiana, which meant it was anti-racketeering. So he tricked, I guess, the the direct uh, head of one of the stores into admitting that he was also over the other two through stores. So here's three stores now on three different corporations like onion peeling to get to them who are breaking the law. And, and the RICO statute said you can confiscate their property. That's a huge fine. This was a big one. So they, when this finally came down, they agreed, I don't know, to, to some things, um, but I don't remember the exact date, but it was after two and a half years. The Sheriff's Department came in, closed them down, all the same within an hour, the same day. The picketers were just, un it was just rejoicing. Just couldn't believe it. So two and a half years before seeing the confiscations and the shutdowns. Yeah. And then adding insult to injury, if you will, it went to the Indiana Supreme Court. They overruled it. And all of that stuff had to be put back into the stores. I mean, it was, it was you talk about discouragement. Unbelievable. The Sheriff's Department, they had it in semis and they had to take it back in. So for a number of months more, it went on until finally, and I don't remember the timing on this, but it went to the United States Supreme Court and its appeal. And to, to the credit of, again, the legal procedures, the court upheld RICO statute against obscenity. It was a, uh, a high water case. It never had been done before. That ended all of them except the Rialto, because this was separate. 
because the Rialto wasn't part of... Was not part of those other three. So Tom Blee tells about this. He'll never forget it, and I won't either. We had over a 1,000 people who came on a weeknight to surround the Rialto. It was seven blocks long, encircled this place, saying, enough is enough. This has to stop. And again, we didn't know what was going on in this very room uh, until later prosecutor came into it, and then he, in, he invoked other laws against it, and it was, it was finally closed down. But remember, because different cities would come and say, well, how did you do it? I said, number one, we prayed for five years. I know, but how did you do it? <laughs> Wait a minute. Listen to what I'm saying. We got the mind of God in this, because, because lives were being horribly abused and women were being abused and children were seeing this stuff and it was not pleasing to the Lord. But up to, up to this time, no one, well, people wanted to follow leadership, but there wasn't any. Nobody was taking leader. But once a leadership came together and took a stand, the people said, yes, yes. And it was that tipping point. Did you feel like... Um, Giving up? Yes. Yeah. How hard was that? Did you, did you have a lot of fall off from uh, the picketers and the support? And I was personally warned to not travel alone and to take an unlisted phone number at my home because the calls came to the church office every day, obscene calls. And we didn't know at that time would there be a firebomb come through our window. We didn't know at the church... It just had no idea what what would happen. I didn't know what one of the elders was assigned to me as kind of a bodyguard. He kept he was a former state police uh, officer, <laughs> and Don Smith, and he Don didn't let me out of his sight for a long time. Um, the church released me half time to encourage and keep it going. I went to the churches, uh, encouraging them to keep the picketers coming. Um, I finally had to, I was on the picket line and I had to go off of it because Marilyn was, Marilyn's hair turned gray in six months. Uh, the, the pressure was just intense. Was it worth it? Yes, it was worth it. But uh, we just didn't know. The one thing that sticks out in my mind when I listen to that interview is remember what he said about we got the mind of God. Mm -hmm. And think about, well, what does it mean to do that? means to understand what pleases the Lord and what makes the Lord angry and to be like-minded. And so when people talk about, well, you can't legislate morality, right? I hear that all the time. You yeah. can't legislate morality. Uh, actually, you can. That's, that's called law. <laughs> right? <laughs> Our Western system of law is derived from Judeo-Christian values, the Judeo-Christian law, uh, our legal process, and, uh, you know, why is murder illegal? Thou shalt not kill. Because it's from the Ten Commandments, right? <laughs> and, every, and, and every society has some kind of governing law. You have to have, if you want, if you want things to be stable, if you want to have freedom, you have to have law and order. Mm -hmm. Because when people feel like, you know, well, why would I bother doing this? Because everybody else gets away with it, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're, you'll prosecute me for it, but you're not going to prosecute them because they get special treatment. This is what leads to civil chaos. Mm -hmm. And this is not pleasing to the Lord. And it's what we're starting to see. I mean, just by the day it accelerates. You see this two-tiered justice system. And when he talks about Getting the mind of God, um, that's what I think that's why we don't see this happening anymore is because the churches have stopped teaching people the scriptures. Well, I think it was interesting and, you know, not not to beat up on the churches a lot. And, you know, we're not trying to do that, but just pointing out mm -hmm. the, the one thing that I found interesting in that interview is he said that um it wasn't a church movement. It was a movement of citizens, leaders, courts, and mm -hmm. law. Mm -hmm. So, but it, it begs the question, 
you know, we keep talking about the church, but who is the church? It's the body. It's, it's the, the body of believers. Right. It's it's the body of Christ. And, and another thing that he said, laws are only enforced when the people wanted the laws enforced. Mm-hmm. And each community must decide what's obscene. Right. Listen, we are the watchmen on the wall. Right. Believers, we are to be involved in every sphere of government and politics. And we learn that through dysphoria. Ecclesia, who mm-hmm. is the church? That's the body of. <laughs> it's yeah. the assembly of believers. Yeah, and and, and uh, I get it because on the one hand we can we can say, listen, if you've got lousy leaders, then look in the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's those of us who who do that every day, and we say, but I didn't vote for these turkeys, right? <laughs> right. So stop telling me it's my fault. Right. I get it. We're all stuck on a sinking ship. I get it. Um, and so to those of us who are awake and who are trying to follow the Lord and who are trying to wake others up and, and, and write the, the path of this, of this nation, we feel convicted all the time anyway. Mm-hmm. And so to keep, I don't mean to beat on those of us who are awake and who are trying to make a difference, but you know what, we're going to feel guilty. We feel guilty no matter what. Mm-hmm. Right, because we're the ones who who feel convicted, like and we haven't done enough. Like, right, no matter how much we do, you feel like you haven't done enough. You're part of the remnant. You're mm-hmm. part of the of who is going to make things better. And you know what? The we don't know at what stage of history we're in. The Lord told us that things in the end, the last days would go from bad to worse. Mm-hmm. We see that happening, so we say, "Well, this could be." We could be in the last days. It sure looks like it. Sure sounds like it. Sure feels like it. But we are not told any more details because we're not supposed to give up. Give up. <laughs> just mark it on our calendars and say, well, I'm just going to hang out. <laughs> no, and, 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 and that's why it's important to share stories like this, because yeah. if it's been done before, yeah. it can be done again. Yeah. You know, have courage. Be strong and courageous. That's right. That's Let's... what we say. tell people all the time. So. Anyway, we'll continue next week with more of this. I mean, it's such a great story, and we're not done yet, but you heard just the, the beginnings there of how they have finally got the Rialto shut down. A thousand people. Mm-hmm. This is a, a straight-up Jericho march mm-hmm. around the Rialto Theater praying for two hours, marching around it and praying and showing their support for, you know, that this needed to be. That this is not acceptable. In their community. In their community. Right. So anyway, so more next week. All right. That's all the time we have for today, friends. Thanks for listening through to the end. And be sure to click that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And share this with your friends and family. Until next time, march on, saints, and be filled with the Spirit. Are you threatening me? 